Hello, I'm Thomas Dabbs, Aoyama Gakuin University, Department of English and American Literature. And I am very, very happy to be introducing a good friend of mine and a colleague and a very fine actor, a writer, a producer, um, a curator of an ensemble of actors who have done global performances, Ben Crystal. Uh, ben has spoken uh, at Aoyama Gakuin before, and some of you are here, and he's spoken at your universities and has performed at your universities, and he's going to go into this tonight. What I need to do is to make sure that we uh, have on record that we are, number one, I want to make sure that we are recording, and we are, and I want to make sure that we, uh, that in the recording, I say that this is October the 29th, 2020, is roughly 6.30 at night for us, and uh, another time for Ben in, in Wales, and this talk is sponsored by the English Literary Society of Aoyama Gakuin, the Department of English and American Literature. And we have uh, members uh, from that society in attendance tonight. And we're, uh, that said, we're very, very happy to welcome Ben. Ben, the stage is yours. Thank you so much, uh, Tom. Um, it is a... Uh... A great sadness for me to not be actually in Japan today, uh, this year. Um, and it's a great pleasure to see so many familiar faces. It's uh, a great honor to have you here, Igarashi Sensei, uh, Taniguchi Sensei, and, and all my other colleagues that I can't quite see on the same page of this Zoom world. And um, my deep thanks to uh, Dab Sensei and to uh, Aoyama Gakuin for inviting me to speak uh, for them again. This will be my fourth consecutive year working in Japan. Let's say in Japan. I'm not actually there, but I'm virtually there. And my heart is very much uh, with you all. Um, I miss Japan very much. And um, uh, it's a uh, yeah, it's a great pleasure and honor to be here. I hope all your families are safe and well, and I hope that uh, the last seven months have been gentle and uh, kind to you as much as possible in a global pandemic. Um, as you are probably aware, the uh, pandemic has not been kind to the arts industry. Um, the creative arts in the UK and in America uh, is, is, is almost non-existent. And we were very, very fortunate last year to come to Japan with three Shakespeare plays. And when I say we, this is the, uh, myself and the Shakespeare ensemble, the, the ensemble of actors that I've been lucky to curate for the last uh, three years. Uh, when we left Japan, having brought the experiment of and the question of, can we make Shakespeare plays, rehearse and perform them as fast as Shakespeare's company did 400 years ago? And um, we found out that we could, but we had some great lessons to learn. Well, we learned a lot of lessons whilst in Japan. And we were very excited to unpack those lessons and to improve our crafts ever further. And we planned a, what we call an R&D, a research and development time in Wales, not very far from where I live here in North Wales. 
up in the mountains of Snowdonia and colleagues and actors from all over the world, from North America, East and West coasts, from India, from all over Europe, uh, booked to come to the UK. And we were going to meet in the mountains and work for two weeks and improve our craft, not perform, not be working towards a production, just to improve our crafts. And then shortly after that, we were due to fly to the East Coast of America, and we were going to raise a production of The Tempest in two days. And then we were going to go to New York and raise a production of, well, we weren't quite sure what that show was going to be, uh, actually, but we were going to teach what we learned in the research and development process to a group of actors that had never raised a Shakespeare play before in such a short space of time. So it was very much about refining and defining our toolkits and then seeing if how easy it would be to teach that toolkit to a bunch of essentially um, novice uh, actors, or at least novice in the practice of raising Shakespeare plays in a very, very short space of time. Some of the uh, my colleagues arrived in Manchester Airport on... Let's see now, was it March the 20th? They didn't leave the airport. They got to the UK from America and from India and essentially had to stay in the airport and catch the first flight back home. Um, the R&D was due to start two days after the global pandemic lockdown began. And um, so everyone went home and the prospects of being of creating theater, which is after all um, singular in that a lot of people think that theater only exists when you are sharing the same physical space, breathing the same air, bathing in the same light as your audience, actors and audience together. Theater seemed very, very far away from us in March and one of the ensemble members from India, a man called uh, Anirudh Nair, who had just been performing with a different company in Japan, in uh, Kyoto, he suggested to the ensemble that we begin to meet uh, online, virtually, either in Zoom or Google Meet, it didn't really matter which, but we would meet and discuss whether it was possible to collaborate at distance, never mind the global pandemic, because we're an international ensemble, there are two factors that are always going to inhibit or be obstacles to our being able to meet and come together. And one is finance and the other is climate. Every time we want to get together to do a production or to rehearse, someone has to fly somewhere and of course, there are a number of um, costs involved in that. How can we collaborate at distance? Um, and let's pretend that the global pandemic isn't a factor, he said. And so we began to meet every week and we began to have uh, what we call distance collaboration meetings. And three to four months later, this was in April, um, by August, so was that April, 
May, June, July, August, four months we met in this way. And the result of that meeting was the project uh, that um, Dab Sensei kindly invited me to, to come to speak with you today about, which is uh, a project we called What You Will. And for those of you that might be familiar, more familiar with Shakespeare's plays, you might remember that What You Will is the alternative title to Shakespeare's play Twelfth Night. Um, and I will explain why we chose that title a little more uh, later on. The distance collaboration meetings were an opportunity for us to come together more regularly than we ever had done before. And we have worked very hard to make our Zoom meetings much more like our rehearsal rooms. So we will begin every meeting with, um, uh, once everyone has arrived, we'll begin with two minutes of silence as we, as we rest, as we come to share the same space, as we set aside what has happened before uh, in the day, the, uh, the work projects or the homework or the, the relationship argument or the, the hunger from the meal or the too much food from the meal. We set all of that aside and we think about what we want from this moment, from this meeting today. And after those two minutes of silence, we uh, each take a minute to speak uh, to how we're feeling to whatever is on our minds, to whatever we would like to share with the group. And once everybody has checked in, um, there is one person, a bit like Dab Sensei today, who shepherds the meeting, who um, facilitates uh, the smooth running of the meeting. And then at the end of the meeting, we each take another minute to uh, reinforce something, to speak to something that has um, particularly resonated, that particularly uh, stood out for us in the meeting, something that we want to take from the meeting, uh, a good thing perhaps, uh, that it was, that it made you laugh or that it made you think about something. And, uh, or it could be uh, something, some negativity that you don't want to take away from the meeting, some feeling of anxiety. And we put these, um, we put these things in place at the beginning, at the end of the meeting to allow us to, to feel more supported, to feel more together, to feel more community. And also to acknowledge that um, humans are, are social creatures. And when we engage in physical contact with each other, a chemical is released inside of us that makes us feel good. It's called oxytocin. It's the hug chemical. Every time you hug someone, or if you stroke an animal, if you stroke a dog or a cat, then that chemical is released. And especially actors are very tactile and very social creatures. And we were missing that uh, social side of things and we were missing that contact. So it was important for us to to try to find ways to balance it. But also this little circle here, this black camera is very, very good at transmitting data and it's quite good at transmitting sound and it can be okay at transmitting visuals of video but it's not very good at transmitting empathy 
or atmosphere. And as you may have experienced over the last six or seven months, it's not very good. Um, in fact, it's not good at all. It's not designed to, um, for example, allow a number of people to speak at once. Um, if you if you if you are a member of a choir and like to sing and you met your fellow choir members on zoom and you all tried to sing together it wouldn't go down very well because there is an algorithm in zoom that prohibits sound from different sources to overlap at the same time to come out and be harmonious um the way that the video the camera translate what it translates what it sees in order to have so many different pictures of so many different people from all around Japan and all over the world at the same time, the quality is much lower. It's not HD quality. And there are parts of our brains, sociolinguistic parts of our brains, that are continually looking out for nonverbal cues. We're continually looking out for body language and um, where the speaker's eyes are looking and how they hold themselves. All of these things help us understand what is being said to us and it relaxes us. And there are parts of the brain that are continually working like this. And in a Zoom environment, those parts of the brain are still working very hard, but they're not receiving the information that they're used to receiving when they are engaging with people. And that brings another type of anxiety. Zoom anxiety is a common, uh, commonly written about uh, subject in newspapers in the UK at the moment. So we wanted to combat that, the anxiety. We wanted to uh, explore what other restrictions Zoom might have, not just not being able to, to speak at the same time, but what other restrictions were there. And we started to watch the Zoom theatre that was being made. And I'm sure a lot of you have seen uh, some Zoom theatre in the last six or seven months. Perhaps it will just be an environment like this, where uh, actors and audience are all in the same screen uh, in, in the gallery view, if, that, if you can see the gallery view. Um, and um, and we, we, we perform, we read a play or we rehearse a play and then perform it for you. And sometimes we will interact with the audience as if we were speaking to you from the stage and you were able to reply like at the Shakespeare's Globe. Or um, perhaps uh, using the virtual backgrounds, there would be a picture of a beach as I perform Prospero in The Tempest or perhaps there will be a picture of a prison for Caliban's jail. Um, there is Zoom virtual background theater. And we talked a lot about the things that we liked in the Zoom theater world and the things that we didn't like. And we talked about the things that naturally happen in the Zoom world, about interruption and about poor uh, connection and about people's microphones not being turned on or they're forgetting to turn their cameras off. We talked about all these natural things that happen when we try to replace day-to-day -day interaction with this virtual world. 
Uh, one of the things that happens in Zoom theatre a lot is that people shout. Now, people shout in theatre as well. But I was always taught that with Shakespeare, um, you don't need to shout. So you, you use the words. There is a difference between intensity and volume. And people use volume, they shout when they feel that they're not being heard or not being understood. And in Shakespeare and in theater, people often shout when their emotions get so great that they feel that they need to raise their volume. But as a colleague said to me early on in lockdown, you cannot fill the void of the internet with shouting. We feel that we need to reach out into the camera and connect with people because we're missing this connection. So we raise our voices in hopes that we, the, 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 the volume will create a bridge through the internet and into your heart. But actually, as a lot of people find, shouting pushes people away more. So we found ourselves looking at Zoom theater and a lot of people were using Zoom and wanting to pretend that everything was normal, that we were all in the same space. And of course we're not. And a lot of people um, were using the virtual backgrounds more and trying to turn this environment into a TV show into more of a film experience. And the questions that the ensemble and I came to after six weeks of meetings or so was, what can theater be in this medium? What can Shakespeare be in this medium? Can theater live in this medium? what could the digital arts be? If the digital arts is a new medium, a new type of art expression that isn't trying to be theater and isn't trying to be TV and film, there are singular advantages as well as disadvantages that being by myself, thousands, hundreds of thousands of miles away from you with a computer and a webcam and a microphone and a light. These are all supporting my being with you. There are some serious disadvantages to not being able to be in the same space, but what are the advantages? What are the things that we can take advantage of and make an even uh, a show that we would, a production that we, or a project that we would never have been able to think of if we hadn't been restricted in this way. There is an English phrase that, go, that says, necessity is the mother of invention. And in some respects, restriction can be the mother of invention too. Shakespeare's company often didn't have very many props or costumes, and they didn't use very much set at all. And yet they were able to create the most wonderful pieces of art. So we felt that with these questions of, can we collaborate together? What can theater be? What can Shakespeare be? 
what are the digital arts? And these four questions were, as it were, the, the edges of the project. We didn't know what the project was going to be yet. We had a blank canvas, but these were the four corners of it. How can we collaborate at distance? What can theater be? What can Shakespeare be? What are the digital arts? And we kept talking about, I, I watched every single piece of digital theater that I could find. Uh, we spent every week meeting and talking about the things that we'd seen and talking about the things that we liked. And people started to say, wouldn't it be interesting to spend time with this character or that character? Wouldn't it be interesting to, in Twelfth Night, the uh, steward Malvolio is duped into thinking that his um, mistress, his boss, Olivia, is in love with him. And he turns up and he dresses up in the most ridiculous outfit, thinking that that's exactly how she wants him to behave. And she thinks he's mad. And so he is sent to prison in the house. There's a prison in the bottom of the house. And the clown dresses up and pretends to be a priest that has come to, to find out whether or not Malvolio is mad. And it's about, a, uh, in the play Twelfth Night, I think the scene is about five minutes long. And we get to a glimpse of Malvolio in prison. Wouldn't it be interesting, someone said, if we spent an hour with Malvolio in prison? What would that look like? If you've ever seen the Tom Stoppard play Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead, it is a play that is set backstage from Hamlet. That Rosencrantz and Guildenstern, these two friends of Hamlet that uh, come to visit the prince and have three or four scenes with him over the course of the play and are very much background and supporting characters whilst Hamlet philosophizes about life and tries to work out whether or not he's going to kill his uncle Claudius. But Tom Stoppard took these two characters and made them the central characters, and Hamlet was in the background philosophizing about life. What other characters in Shakespeare could we spend more time with and learn something about? What would it be like to enter a Zoom room with Ophelia, let's say, from Hamlet, or Lady Macbeth, but not in the middle of the big scene or a big speech? What would it be like to turn on the Zoom camera and sit with them when they have just finished a big scene? Or it is the morning before they are going to kill Duncan or talk to Hamlet? What would it be like to sit with these characters when they don't realize that their camera is on? What would these characters say if they thought they weren't being heard, if they had forgotten to turn their microphone off? That was the beginnings of how these loose ideas about the Zoom world began to start to shape towards Shakespeare. 
and I can't remember whose idea it really was, but Twelfth Night kept coming up. We kept talking about Twelfth Night. And I had an, an idea, an image of, um, if, if you imagine the Zoom gallery with lots and lots of little squares, if you can see it now, um, I'm not sure if you can, but I'm sure you all know what it looks like. Could you imagine what it would be like if Zoom allowed you to double click on one square and make that person's video bigger and then make three or four other people's squares bigger and then turn the volume on to five other squares and be in much more control of the video and audio elements of Zoom. What would that be like? Um, that was the original idea that we had, that we would gift the audience agency. These were the, um, if, if those four questions were the corners of the project, the beginnings of the, um, the colors or the palette that we wanted to paint with, were to do with congregation, coming together, that's the ensemble coming together to work, but also bringing audience together. That's the whole point of theater as well, of course, to, to congregate, to come together. Entertainment, to, to allow people to forget about the global pandemic for an hour. That's a gift for us, and hopefully it would be a gift for the audience. But also agency. How much of your day are you now spending slumped in a chair, forgetting about the body, neglecting the body? And even if you go to see a piece of theater, you join the meeting, you turn your camera on or you turn your camera off and then you watch. And maybe you can ask a question or maybe you can chat and maybe you're invited to engage in some way, to applaud, to, uh, to sing with the uh, character. But there, beyond that, we wanted to activate and engage the audience, to include them, to, to step towards a promenade theater from your home. Now, a, a promenade theatre was made famous in um, the UK and America by a company called Punch Drunk uh, Theatre, and they would essentially hire a big warehouse and they would fill it with scenery and set, and you could enter the warehouse and walk wherever you wanted to walk. And perhaps you would stumble on a character, and perhaps you wouldn't. Perhaps you would uh, stumble on a part of a story, or perhaps you wouldn't. They adapted Macbeth and called it Sleep No More. And you could go to see Sleep No More and possibly not see any of the play Macbeth. Or possibly you would see it all. Or possibly you would see it in chronological order. Or possibly you would see it out of chronological order. The point was that you were in control of the story that you engaged with. It was like, if you remember, if you have those uh, comics or stories from uh, the 20th century, the choose your own adventure, 
where you get to page 23 and it says, do you want the character to jump off the cliff? If you do, turn to page 28. If you want them to turn around and go home, turn to page 29 and so on and so forth. We wanted an element of that agency. So I went to uh, a, t a live streaming company that I'd worked with at the British Library in 2016. Um, and uh, Middle Temple in London, where Shakespeare first performed Twelfth Night. Um, and of course, this live stream company had been do it was was very, very busy in March and April. They were doing very well. Uh, if if there had been a um, Nostradamus prediction of things to invest in at the beginning of 2020, uh, a live stream company would have probably been a very shrewd investment. And um, in the UK, the things that run out were uh, flour and toilet roll. So those were the other things we might have invested in, 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 in the UK at least. Um, but this live stream company was doing very well. And they said um, how happy they were to hear from me and they, how sad they were about the creative arts and the theatre industry. And they wanted to help. So they donated their time and energy. And that's when the project, that's when the ideas and the talking and the hopes and dreams started to become, it felt like it, so we were actually going to be able to create something, even though we were all around the world. And even though every day people were dealing with such tremendous stress, it really looked like we were gonna be able to achieve something. And the only thing that they said, the live stream company said, though, was that the original idea of having essentially, there are, well, 20, there are 20 actors in the ensemble, um, to have 20 separate live streams, as it were, 20 separate YouTube live streams, all at once, so that you could make one bigger, turn the volume on and off on another. Um, all of those things are not possible now. They might be possible in five years time when computer processors are faster and when the rest of the world has as fast an internet connection as Japan does. Uh, but right now, most computers are slow and most people's broadbands are not very fast, at least over here. So, uh, we had success in that we had come up with such a good idea. We were five years ahead of the technology and couldn't achieve it. So we'll come back to that idea in five years time. But what we thought could work was a house of rooms or a, a treasure map. So you could be presented with a map or a, a mansion uh, like a, a, an advent calendar that you might see in a, in a Western house at Christmas with doors and lights behind each window. And you could click on one of those windows or doors and visit with a character from Twelfth Night. And this character might be speaking or walking or sitting and thinking. And perhaps it's immediately before a big emotional scene in the play Twelfth Night, or perhaps it's just them getting ready for their day. Perhaps there is a stream, a live stream, 
of Maria, Olivia's maid, and she is just sitting for the whole show, waiting to be called, or coming up with the riddle that will confuse Malvolio. Or perhaps we watch as Viola slowly becomes Cesario, slowly disguises herself as a man. Scenes that you don't get to see in a normal Shakespeare play. And if you are if that character is not interesting to you, then you have a choice to visit a different character that's related to them or another character that's related to them or leave their room and return to the map. And so you can see there is a degree of promenade. Of, uh, there's a lot more agency for the user. If you don't do something, nothing will happen. You have to do something in order for, to, for the show to take place. It won't just happen and you can't just sit there and fall asleep. Well, you can, but you understand what I'm saying. So we, uh, we took pieces from um, uh, a friend's music album that seemed to resonate with Twelfth Night. And we took particular lines from particular characters that seemed to really define the heart of that character, the engine of that character, whether it was um, grief for Olivia or vanity for Orsino or music and song for Feste the Clown. We each gave them an engine. We gave them particular uh, speeches, but we would um, say, take uh, Orsino's speech. If music be the food of love, play on, give me excess of it. And we would redact particular words in the speech. We would black out the, the speech. So it, we would gift the actor, let's say, not if music be the food of love, play on, but if music, love, play. And that was their speech. And then they could explore that speech if music be love be love and so on and so forth it could really explore one particular speech um and we made a storyboard and we tried to uh make sure that across the five or six or seven characters that we could have because the live stream company said that their technology could not make more than they said seven characters would be safe and that 10 characters would be too many. In the end, we ended up with nine characters. Uh, we had Malvolio, Feste, Olivia, Viola, Andrew, Egerchik, uh, Toby Belch, um, <laughs> I've forgotten the rest. Oh, and we had two Marias. So we had two actors exploring different aspects of the character Maria. Um, and we gifted each actor a package. We put together pictures and music and paintings and lines from the play and we emailed each actor. Uh, oh, and um, a list of aesthetics like um, things that they could use in the background. One of them was fairy lights another was water, 
another was uh, a mirror. He gifted them um, toys for the playground, essentially. And each actor was working by themselves. But we also invited another member of the ensemble to be there, what we called their outside eyes. So we, we don't work with a director. We, in our Shakespeare productions, we always um, work as if uh, Shakespeare is our director and he directs us through the text that he wrote. Now, I'm not the director of the Shakespeare ensemble. I'm the curator of it. And I understand curation to mean I set up the playground. I set up all the toys in the playground and I invite the players who will play in that playground and having brought together and thought about the quality of all those ingredients, I step back and let them play. So, uh, but actors are, um, they need assistance. They need people to step outside and to see what they're doing. So, uh, but not to be instructed in our ensembles. So we invited a member of the ensemble to work with each actor and each, so each actor had a pair of outside eyes. And then another member of the ensemble visited each of those groups and was the outside eye to the outside eyes who were watching the actors. So there were circles of creativity. And after working in this way for six weeks, on the 8th of August this year, we performed three performances. Uh, the shows were 45 minutes long. They were live. Um, and then a week after those live performances, we launched the website, which I'll show you in a minute, of what you will. Uh, and Remember those corners that I talked about at the beginning, that we were interested in exploring what theatre was and what digital theatre was. Now, we were certainly exploring what Shakespeare could be. We decided that you can go anywhere to see a full production of Twelfth Night, but we wanted to look at what Shakespeare feels and looks like in the modern digital world. And we liked the idea of providing an insight into the depth of these characters, but also a non-linear narrative that allowed people, allowed the internet and YouTube generation, who YouTube says that the concentration span of their average user is sometimes no more than 15 seconds. We wanted to facilitate that sort of audience too. Um, and then the project wanted to explore the digital arts, remember. So this happened in a number of ways. First of all, Anirudh Nair and uh, Amber Suhasini Jato uh, Kala were both performing in India. And Anirudh Nair had to move house suddenly and um, Amber was working from her parents' um, home in a part of India that didn't have good internet connection. And then um, Hiraki, Hiraki Karata, who worked with us uh, from, uh, uh, he lives in Tokyo, but he worked with us last year on the Shakespeare Ensembles tour of Japan. He suddenly got an audition. 
So um, the actors who could no longer perform on the live day, on the live performance day, pre-recorded their performances. But we were performing at 12 p.m. British summertime, 4 p.m. British summertime, and 7 p.m. British summertime to allow audience members from all around the world to watch the performance. And hopefully it won't be the middle of the night for them. There will be a performance that they can see that isn't at 4 a.m. That was the idea. So the actors that could no longer perform live pre-recorded their performances of a 45-minute non-stop devised piece, but they performed it at 12, p they recorded it and filmed it at 12 p.m., 4 p.m. and 7 p.m. in their own time zone, sent us the recordings so that during the live performances, there were actors who were performing live, but there were also performances that had been performed live at the appropriate time of day, but were pre-records. And it pulled out another quality that we were interested in about subverting the audience's expectation of that magic of theater where you sometimes don't know if something is real or something isn't and if if you go to look at what you will and you still can uh you would not be able to tell which performance was pre-recorded and which wasn't so in that way we were asking different questions about what the digital arts can be and then in terms of what theater can be in the digital arts we had the live performances then we had the record of which were comprised of live and recorded performances then from the website we had to choose which performance for each character would we use for the website would we use their 12 p.m performance or their 4 p.m. performance or their 7 p.m. performance. And each actor chose a different time. So the web version is different from the live version. Then we were invited to take part in the Cairo International Festival of Experimental Theater. And in order to do that, we found out that our performance was, was more experimental than their application form would allow us to apply. So we made a screencast of someone watching the performance. So there's a recording of someone's experience walking through this performance, walking their promenade experience. So you have the live performance, which is also recorded. Then you have the web version, which is comprised of different performances. Then you have the screencast, which is one person's performance. And now, of course, you can still to this day, thanks to the generosity of the Livestream Company, you can go and interact with and engage with our production of what you will. And if you want, you can screencast your journey through this show and put it up on the internet. And that is another different look at what theatre can be, we think. Um, and uh, hopefully now, Dab Sensei said at the beginning, uh, right, I the host is disabled participant screen sharing, so I can't show you. Uh, I was about to launch the website there, but um, you can visit what you will if you go to the shakespeareensemble.com 
you can now. You can now. Oh, can I? oh, thank you. Okay, let me see here. Uh, here we go. So um, here is the uh, here is the Shakespeare Ensemble website, and uh, oh look, there's us in uh, Kochi last year. Uh, uh, if I go to what you will. Excuse me. There is uh, Anirud, and there is Hiroaki, and there is Amba. Uh, there's uh, Anirud performing as uh, Orsino, who decides to explore his femininity, which, of course, in India is quite a big thing for him to have done. Hiroaki was exploring melancholy in his uh, tatami room, and that's uh, Amba, um, the maid, pretending to be Olivia. And you might see that uh, in the background there, there is uh, a person watching her. We wanted to invite members of our family and our friends who would socially distance, of course, to um, sit and watch in the actual physical space so that there would be a performance experience that was live that people could watch virtually, but also that there would be an actual performance experience because there would be real audience in the same space. So you come to this page and then it says, click here to journey to our Olivia, uh, our Illyria, sorry. And um, I, should, uh, I should point out that if you scroll down, you could, there is a digital exhibition. We also wanted to create the, the lobby experience. We wanted to create an opportunity for our audience to congregate. So we had a Zoom chat, but uh, also, uh, and I'll quickly show you the digital exhibition uh has the posters character postcards portraits of the players an interview uh it's got amber's uh sketches of the riddle uh dan bolia played toby belch and looked at the engine of addiction uh there's a radio interview with me and even here there is the uh, minutes of our very first planning meeting when we first started to talk about how we might collaborate together so we really wanted to invite the audience into our process, but also give them somewhere to contemplate, somewhere to congregate. These are all the, there's a, we made a different poster for each character. There's Andrew Melancholy, Belch Addiction, Malvolio Madness. Uh, there are some of the players. These are portraits that were taken virtually via FaceTime with a, a wonderful photographer, colleague of mine. Uh, and here's the interview and so on and so on. Oh, and there was the, uh, there was the riddle notebook as well. So there's a digital exhibition for people to explore before or after the show. But uh, you click here to launch the microsite. And here is our what you will. You can uh, enter Illyria there. There is a content advisory because uh, some of the explorations were quite provocative. And here is our, our map, our house of rooms. This is what the, uh, the treasure map idea became. So the idea is that you have all the characters here, Andrew, Orsino, Viola, and of course they are linked depending on their relationships. So uh, Andrew is linked with Maria and he's linked with Feste and he's linked with Belch. Now he's in love with Olivia but doesn't have a connection to her, you notice. And uh, 
what you do is you can start anywhere. Let's start with Thursday. And uh, here you have all of the characters that Feste is linked to. You have, uh, you can return to the map or you can start playing. And uh, this is the beginning of the show as Feste begin gets ready. And that's Hazel Askew, who's a musician I've worked with a lot. And uh, She's just settling there, so we can, um, let's go and see Malvolio. Let's see what Malvolio's up to. But it looked like Feste was about to start playing a song. So let's also play Feste's soundtrack. Yeah, it's the beginning of the show, so nothing's happening. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be impatient. I'm going to skip forward here. <laughs> There's Malvolio's bum. Great. Wonderful timing. Uh, let's go and see what Olivia's up to. And then actually, because I've got quite a decent internet connection here, I'm going to see what Mariah de Abajo is also up to. And you'll notice, hopefully, yeah, there we go. The time code is exactly the same. So they've even managed to allow the audience to navigate around to create multiple rooms at the same time. Um, and that's our show. Uh, it's still freely available. It is going to be forever. And we are now starting to think because it's November now nearly, and we thought that all of this pandemic would be over. We thought perhaps we might even be in Japan by now, but we're still very far away from the theaters being open. And we're thinking now, what can we create next with the hopes, if we're very, very lucky that we might be able to return to Japan in autumn 2021 with another tour. Uh, but until then, we're going to keep exploring what this new digital art medium can offer and what we can do that is different and new and challenging and entertaining and can bring our audiences together in a new and refreshing way and perhaps allow us to forget that it's raining outside or uh, frankly to forget how much pain the world is in. Um, and, and if we've learned one thing, that's what the theater can do. It can, it can be the balm and the soothing, calming, healing force to our lives to allow us to laugh together and cry together before we return to our lives. So um, we're, we're gonna keep on doing that. And, uh, and if you haven't explored what you will yet, then uh, I do hope you'll find 45 minutes to, to, to spend with these, these wonderful characters and these wonderful actors. Um, thank you all for listening and I'll be very glad to take your questions. But some of my students have, uh, are younger and don't know your history with old uh, OP or old pronunciation. And if you could just explain briefly why in the prologue of Romeo and Juliet, the word love rhymes with the word remove. 
Oh, sure, of course, thank you. Um, so, um, um, the Shakespeare's Globe Theatre in London is what they would call an original practice building. They looked at how the theatres were 400 years ago, and they tried to work out whether they could simulate or echo or mirror the architectural design of the space that Shakespeare and his actors performed in. And they've explored also what Shakespeare productions would look like or how they'd be different if the actors were also wearing costumes that fitted in, and restricted the body in the way that Shakespeare's company used and also fight technique and dance technique. And of course, we as a company explore the rehearsal process and how we can take rehearsal processes from 400 years ago and um, what that does to Shakespeare, modern Shakespeare performance. My father, uh, the linguist David Crystal, was invited to the Shakespeare's Globe in 2004 to explore what the sound, the accent of Shakespeare's actors would sound like. And um, that's, you know, that's quite easy to do. Uh, you can't be 100% right, of course, but um, it's possible to work out what Shakespeare's accent was. It's possible to work out what Chaucer's accent was in the th 1300s. And it's possible in Middle English, and it's possible to work out what um, Beowulf's, uh, the accent of the Beowulf poet would have been in Old English in the 10th century. Um, so uh, dad went away and worked out what all of the Shakespeare's accents would have been like. And uh, they performed Romeo and Juliet. And just as Dab Sensei uh, mentioned there, uh, there are words in modern English accents that usually don't rhyme anymore that seem to have rhymed in Shakespeare's time. Uh, there is a line from Shakespeare that goes, if this be error and upon me proved, I never writ nor no man ever loved. And it's the end of a sonnet and it's a rhyming couplet and it's supposed to rhyme. And it doesn't in a modern accent, which means one of two things. Either Shakespeare wasn't a very good poet or the accent has changed. And you can look around all the other sources of information, um, all the other bits of data, like the other poems, the other rhymes, uh, the plays that rhyme. And you can actually you can deduce without looking in those places that if it was supposed to rhyme then either the rhyme was proved and louved with a long vowel sound proved louved or a shorter vowel sound proved 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 and loved proved and loved or louved and proved so that's when you go to the other po poems and you go to the plays and you see if uh, there are other sounds like that that um, seem to rhyme together and you can look at the spellings because they used to spell a lot more um, uh, in, the, in the way the spellings would reflect the sounds that they spoke which English doesn't do so much anymore um, or there were also people who wrote books about how the language was pronounced. Ben Johnson one of Shakespeare's contemporary playwrights also wrote a pronouncing dictionary of English um, and all of that data combined, you can it's, work out that most people 
would say proved and loved rather than proved and lewd. Shorter vowel sound for that sound. And um, you can go, go around and work out all of the sounds from that. Um, uh, one, yeah, prov, love. I'm practicing now. Could you do? <laughs> could you do maybe uh, two or three or four or five lines uh, in uh, as you've done in one of your YouTube videos, uh, Queen's English, and then okay. just so yeah. we have a comparison, so our uh, so we can hear the difference. I'd be glad to. Yeah. Um, well, you mentioned the opening chorus of Romeo and Juliet. Let's see if I can remember it. Um, uh, so this is um, in the uh, Queen's English accent, as it were. Uh, two households, both alike in dignity, in fair Verona, where we lay our scene. From ancient grudge break to new mutiny, where civil blood makes civil hands unclean. From forth the fate across lovers take their life. Whose misadventured piteous overthrows doth with their death bury their parents' strife. I'll go that far. I think someone's microphone might be on there. Um, I, uh, I I turned it off, <laughs> but I, I'm trying to find who, who it is. I can, I can uh, still hear them. <laughs> I can still hear too, and I can't see who it is. It's like oh, I do you know what it is? It's um, uh, it's not anyone there. I'm. What you will is still playing in the background. Oh, oh this is what we, this speaking. is what you were this is what you were talking about. This is, exactly this is the world about. we live in. Zoom. Well, please go ahead with the. I will. Uh, I'm so the sorry for assuming someone's mic had stayed on, whereas in fact it was my neglect. Uh, so that was uh, the opening speech in Queen's English, with um, my friend Renee from New York chipping in from time to time as Olivia. Uh, and hopefully she won't do this time. This is the same speech in original pronunciation. Two households, both alike in dignity, and fair Verona, where we lay our sin, from ancient grudge break to new mutiny, where civil blood makes civil hands unclean. From forth the fat lines of those two foes, a pair of star-crossed lovers take their life, whose misadventured, piteous overthrows doth with their death, bury their parents' strife. So uh, that's a glimpse of the sound. You can hear that sound in, in, in fuller effect in, uh, on YouTube and other places on the internet. We didn't use it in what you will. We thought about it. Um, it was a tool that the actors could have used. Uh, we encourage the actors to use their, um, their first language, whether it's Japanese or Hindi or whatever language they had at their disposal, but uh, we decided uh, to not include original pronunciation in what you will. I'm not sure why, it just, that's just the way it happened. Well, also I would like to, we have a couple of people here, maybe three from uh, Sophia University and you performed there last year. Uh, oh really? With your, uh, with oh, your ensemble uh, and so- I can't it, see anyone. So well, well, welcome it, we're, Sophia We're gonna University. bring it back to gallery view after we finish recording. But if you could very quickly tell some of the people here who did, uh, I was on sabbatical, so I missed it. But uh, I, I feel so gratified that they marshaled the resources at Sophia to have your group there. And we might have people here from other universities. So if you could name the, the oh um, my goodness, well, yeah, um, the performances uh, we, that you did, and we were very uh, honored to perform our first product performance of Romeo and Juliet at Sophia. 
University, thanks to um, Takanori uh, Togo Sensei and uh, John Williams Sensei. Uh, we were um, immensely honored to get our first performance of uh, Hamlet at uh, Meiji University. Uh, thanks to the, uh, the the great kindness of um, Rumiko Ayama Sensei, we uh, um, thanks to the contacts uh, of my dear friends um, Masaki Tanaguchi Sensei and Masanori Masanori Toyota Sensei, we were invited to um, uh, Kyoto University. We performed at uh, uh, a university in Osaka. Uh, our friends, as you saw there. Uh, again, thanks to uh, Tanaguchi Sensei, I made good colleagues with um, uh, Darren Lingley Sensei down in uh, Kochi University, and uh, we performed in Yusuhara, uh, a very old um, theater, a uh, wooden indoor theater up in the mountains of Kochi. Uh, we performed our first production performance of Macbeth um, up in Nagano in Besho Onsen, a beautiful old a temple on top of the hillside there that uh, that I'd fallen in love with and visited randomly, stumbled on it, uh, and and decided one day I will perform Shakespeare here. And um, yeah, last year a lot of dreams came true, and it's uh, in no small thanks to a, a number of the people uh, here. Uh, and uh, my deepest gratitude to to all of you who are here that I. I can't quite see, but I, I'm waving to you in my heart. Well, Ben, thank you so much. We're going to stop recording now and, and have you take some questions and maybe set it up to where you can see some of the people here. So thank you again so very much. And this thank ends our recording for today.